Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. And today's episode is gonna be the last in this series of episodes with a new episode set coming in September. So be on the lookout for that. And oh my gosh, this was just the perfect way to end this set of episodes because this conversation was so powerful. I was so affected by our guest story and was so appreciative of her coming on to invite us all into it. Our guest is Tanea Joshi, and she shares with us about her experience growing up and ultimately getting to a point of understanding her identity and kind of navigating adolescence and all of that. But what was particularly powerful in this conversation was how transparent Tanea was with inviting us all into her experience navigating some really challenging family dynamics with regards to family members' struggle to get to a place of acceptance and celebration of her identity. She was so generous with her story and you know, so many of us unfortunately have some challenging relationships in our lives that we have to navigate and her story is one that's just such a powerful example of how to do the work of continuing to kind of honor our own self and put boundaries where we need and kind of then slowly decide when it's okay to let people in. It was just, oh, I can't recommend enough. So welcome to that conversation. And I'm so appreciative of Tanea for inviting us all into it. And as with each episode of the Second Adolescence Podcast, I want to invite you as a listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are different and unique. You might hear things shared on the show that really differ from your experience, whereas you might hear other things that really speak to what you went through or are currently going through. I really hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you want to connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or you can follow the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. All right. Welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Second Adolescence. I'm really excited and curious to have you on and, and hear about you and your story. And I guess before going anywhere, I'd like to invite the person in your shoes to give a little mini introduction just to give the listeners a little context to who the person is behind the voice. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Thania. Introductions are always so funny for me because I'm like, do I talk about work? Do I talk about my life? Right, right. right. <laughs> Let's see. I was born and raised uh, in Mumbai and my family moved to the US when I was 11 years old mm. and been here since I came out about seven years ago, a year into dating my partner. And it's been a pretty rocky road with my parents, which came to a pretty nice conclusion this year at our wedding. But yeah, that's that's my journey. And then, you know, as a person, I love spending time with my dog and my cat. They're both very small. 
I love to cook, love to have friends over for dinner. I do a lot of art, you know, pottery, printmaking, things like that. And then the thing that pays my bill is uh, I work as a product designer in tech. Okay, I've, I'm so excited to dive into so much of what I've heard so far. But I guess to first to land us, why did you want to come on and share your story? Yeah, wow, that's a great question. When it comes to like queer storytelling, I've heard so much sadness and trauma behind it. Mm -hmm. Which there is. There's a lot of that in my story as well. But I also have a lot of joy to share that I have been privy to this year. And I just hate being like a part of a trope that is like the gay best friend or the one who gets killed off in movies. You know, Mm -hmm. we have happy endings. We have happy stories. And I don't know. I wish I would have had more access to those when I, I was having a hard time coming out. So yeah, that's one reason. And the other is I think each coming out is so different than the next. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also massive differences. And if there's anything I can share in my story that helps that, you know, resonates with people, helps them, makes them want to reach out, moves them in any way, then I I consider that, I don't know, just a really big honor. Mm. Oh, I'm so touched that you're here. And I so appreciate you. We just met and I'm just like, just so grateful to get to even have this moment. And I'm so honored that you wanted to come on and share your story with our community. So yeah, so you mentioned your story began in Mumbai. And so I'm curious, like, what was like that first chapter of your life like growing up there? So I, uh, I I grew up in Mumbai in South Bombay, a very bustling part of Mumbai. I was nicknamed Tomboy. Like we, we had this big sort of technically it was an apartment complex. It was like a big circle of apartments and everybody knew everybody and everybody knew everybody's business. And there were like people got nicknames, you know, like it was a very close knit community. There were times where my mom would have to like would would be out on a project for a couple of hours and my neighbor would watch us like you know it was just such a close-knit community so yeah I um, I always joke that when I was about six years old I gave my Barbie a haircut and I realized it's never growing back so I picked up a cricket bat and I joined the boys (laughs) (laughs) I've always just been like soft butch people asked me I uh, one of my very fond memories is I once left the house wearing a dress and I had my mom draw a mustache on my face Hmm. and there was uh, a family friend who ran into us and he's like, hey, why do you have a mustache? And I looked at him and I was like, why do you have a mustache? Mm. And I just kept walking. So I think gender is something that, call it gender, call it the sort of spectrum of masculinity and femininity. But Mm. that was something that I was exploring since I was a kid. And the awesome thing is because play is encouraged, especially like where I grew up in India, nobody looked at it as a bad thing. People are like, people would just call me tomboy. And, you know, I'd just be walking around in shorts and a t-shirt, like, my mom, as I as I got older, taught me how to walk. And I'm putting this in air quotes because growing up, I used to walk like my dad. I used to be like chest out, arms out. And I used to walk like this, wear a hat. And my mom is like, oh, you're getting older. You can't get away with this shit anymore. We got to tone this shit down. But yeah, that was like the early, early childhood for me. Huh. Okay. And so would you say then, because it sounds like at that point when your mom came in to kind of teach you to walk, what sounds like more feminine, quote unquote. Yeah. Was that kind of the shift? It sounds like pre that moment in childhood, there was a lot of space to play. Not that people knew you even doing this, but, but play with a little bit more gender, play with a little more masculine, feminine kind of, there's more space to sure. do that. But then it sounds like at some point it changed. Is that when you got older or when did that shift? Yeah. Wow. Let's see. 
I think I had started to feel some waves of that as I was getting ready to leave India. I was 11 when I left. Mm. So I was still young enough that I wasn't being like extremely policed in the way that I was. Mm. But I think I, I began to like get a sense for it. There's one guy who I used to play cricket with all the time. And he was like, hey, people are asking if we like each other. And I was like, what's that? Mm. Or this thing with, you know, my mom being like, you need to learn how to walk properly. Right. I think this like heteronormativity started taking effect toward the end of my time uh, Mm. in India. And then when we moved here, it was such a jarring change. Nobody had time to pay attention to how I was walking. (laughs) We were in a new country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you remember about making that move. How are you feeling about that move? I was feeling really excited in the beginning because I was like, my, my dad moved to the US in 2000. He scoped everything out. He had this job that he was like, let me be here for a year, see how it feels. And then, uh, you know, I'll see if I can bring my family over. And so this was back in the days of dial-up. And there was this app on my Windows 97 computer that would give me five minutes of FaceTime with my dad. And so that's how we would call him for for about a year. And then he Mm. came and visited once or twice. So I I, like America was something that was like buzzing around me for a year before we moved here. And uh, when we did, it was a really rough year because, again, like I came here just the same person that I was there, right? Like I was definitely very tomboyish, more mask presenting. And I think people kind of saw that. They were like, oh, you dress weird. You look funny. You sound funny. So I had a hard time adjusting in school because Mm -hmm. I was in a school where there were not a lot of Indian people. And so I think people just hadn't really seen immigrants from different countries. And it was just a lot of local kids there. Mm. And I remember being like, well, you know, my grandma said, if I hate it one year later, I can just go to India and live with her. Uh, And I just remember that being in the back of my head. And then uh, my parents kind of saw me struggling in school and getting bullied a lot. And, And so we switched schools in seventh grade. And I think that's when it just, I was like, oh, this place isn't so bad after all. I think I got this. Like, I think Mm. I can make it here. Mm. At this new school, it sounds like it was a better fit. Or or what was the difference at that school? A lot more diversity. Yeah, great. And specifically, like, you know, I mean, look, here's the thing. The uh, the first school I was in was also diverse. It was just diverse in a different way. Mm. So it's unfair for me to say diversity. It's that there's just a lot more Asian people there. So like there were Indian people who saw me and they were like, oh, you sound like my mom. Because you're from mm. the same country as my mom. Okay, this mm. makes sense to me. Come on in. Mm. Yeah. And then, okay, so this is an adolescence. Like, what was happening in terms of your understanding of your identity at the time? Yes. Okay. I'm so excited to share this with you. I have a, a Harry Potter journal. And it's downstairs in my nightstand. I had a best friend when I was 13. And I just thought she was awesome. And I remember hanging out at her house one day. Just kind of looking at her and like being very captivated by her. And I came home and I wrote in my journal, I was like talking about how beautiful her hair looked. And then I wrote in all caps, I am not gay. Mm. (laughs) So Mm. that was my first coming out. (laughs) Right, right. And then I just uh, locked it away for 10 years before I came out. But that's what was happening when I was 13. You know, I was like, when I was 12, I was in that school that I was having a hard time in. People were teasing me. They were like, this guy likes you. This guy likes you. And I like didn't really understand it. Mm. Also, like I I was very naive when I came to the U.S. and much further behind than a lot of my peers were. And so I think that was also the other thing that was impacting uh, my understanding of my sexuality or just like attraction or anything like that. But the first thing I ever felt in my chest was these feelings for my 
my best friend when I was 13, which is, you know, right around that time of uh, puberty. So, oh, yeah. I'm just thinking about little, little you feeling <laughs> that and writing that out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then, okay, you mentioned, okay, then I locked that away for another 10 years. Was that, I mean, I'm sure it's not a simple process or a simple answer of what locking away means, but where was that like a conscious effort? Where was that kind of on the unconscious level? Like what does locking it away mean? What did that look like for you? Okay. So uh, locking it away, um, it means a couple of different things. I think, so I, I, I kept reading that journal. I was actually reading it with my partner and we were just laughing our butts off about like teenage me just like being angry at my parents and like also being like I love Daniel I I love this guy I love that guy I have like I love Daniel Radcliffe in my notebook because you know (laughs) fuck JK Rowling but like Harry Potter was really big back in the day Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so so I, I was looking back at this journal and I saw a lot of I heart boy name one of them was I think it was this boy Daniel who I liked And then two days later, I came back to my journal and I said, I have moved on because I saw him pick his nose. uh, It looks really funny to hide your sexuality, I guess, if you're me. (laughs) But that's what it looks like is like a lot of I heart this boy, I heart that boy. And I think I started to understand, most importantly, I think I started to understand at that point. And this is not like a right learning, but the learning I picked up was male attention is good. If boys like me, that's good. I should be likable to boys. And that was starting to like stick in my brain a little bit more. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to be performing. Yeah. Performative heterosexuality, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's that's what a lot of queer people uh, grow up with. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what it looked like. And, and then the a very interesting thing was happening on the side, which is that I had really, really deep relationships with both boys and girls. Uh, and, and I hate to put gender on a binary, but you know that's how the, these friends identified. Mm-hmm. I, there, there's this guy who I would play Egyptian rat slap with every day at lunch. And we would just like find each other. We'd like scarf our lunch down and we'd play. And we just like love hanging out with each other. So outside of these like fleeting like crushes or like forced crushes, whatever was happening, there were these like real relationships I was having with boys, but they never felt anything more than friendship. And then I was having these relationships with girls who are becoming like every now and then I would have like a best friend who I would just have so much affection for that my chest would well. And I would be like, I will give my life for you. And Mm -hmm. my friend, whoever the girl was, and there are many of these women in my life, Mm -hmm. they would be like, you're so weird. You're coming on so strong. Like, what's Mm -hmm. your deal? Because the thing is that I was very much modeling the way that I had seen, like, I'm a big Bollywood fan. Mm-hmm. And I was modeling the way that I had seen heroes in Bollywood romance their actresses without actually understanding that's what was happening. <sighs> so there's these male friendships that could have actually been crushes had I had the capacity to like the boys. Yeah. And then there's these like girls in my life who I just became so attached to. And I was like, I'm just a very caring friend. And people, I guess, just don't want that. And Mm. I I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I just want to take care of my friend. Mm. And that continued till I was 23. Mm -hmm. I had a best friend in undergrad. Uh, His name was Sean. I love the dude. Like he was so incredible. We were just like inseparable. He was at an internship the semester of my birthday. And he like drove down just to celebrate my 21st with me and buy me a drink. And like, Oh my God, I loved him so much. 
but I never liked him more than a friend. And if there was ever a boy in my life I would have truly genuinely ended up with, it was him. And then on the other hand, I was again like having these friendships with like all sorts of like uh, all of these different women who are coming by in my life who were who eventually just ended up shunning me because they were like you're coming on too strong. Mm. So he- here I was having learned that male attention is good, not knowing what to do with the actual relationships that I had with boys right. because at some point, you know, Sean and I are no longer friends. He found a girlfriend and stopped talking to me because in heterosexuality it's weird if you're a boy and your best friend is a girl. Mm. So I honestly like I held on to that grief for a long time, oh, yeah. but I just wish that I could go back to him and tell him that I could have never liked him. Mm. I, I, and that we really were just friends and nothing more and there was nothing like threatening about me. But you know, that the time for that is gone. But yeah, mm. that's that that my my friendships evolved in these like these like really really weird ways for about a decade. Yeah, and like I can imagine that must have been so so confusing for a younger you going yeah. through that of like feeling what you're feeling and then kind of not knowing what you're doing, acting in the way like you were socialized to kind of from these Bollywood films, even unconsciously, but then getting this feedback from these girls were like, Whoa, this is, this is not okay. Like, what do you, how do you think like younger you like internalize that? Like what, what do you think that did to that younger version of you? I was really beaten down. Oh yeah, Um, totally. Right. Like, like, I mean, like what else, right? Like you have this best friend. And the thing is, I had no idea this is what it means to like somebody. Mm. And I'll tell you, I had another friend who I was developing this kind of friendship with at Mm. the time that I came out. And I like took three steps back and I was like, I like her. And I was like, oh my God, I've liked all of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it was, it was really lovely once I was like, unlocked that. But, but because I hadn't unlocked that, like, I'll give you an example. I had a friend in college who I just loved. Like I had so much love in my heart for her. I had a massive crush on her. Mm. And again, I didn't know this. And it was really tough because she was developing a crush on another guy. And I remember one day she was really sick and I had gone to visit my parents, which I saw them pretty often when I was in college and she was sick. So I was like, Hey, I'm going to leave early and go take care of my friend. I stopped by a grocery store and I picked up like a can of soup and like a towel for like a cold compress. Cause she was running a fever. And I picked up some Advil and like some snacks and I like brought the bag over to her dorm. And it turned out that she was spending time at the guy's dorm. And I just remember like feeling crushed Like I had this aching desire to care for this quote friend. And I was like, what does this guy have to offer her that I'm not offering her? I can take better care of her. Why is she not coming to me? Totally. Yeah. That's basically, that's like a really great, I think, example of what these friendships felt like. Yeah, totally. And yeah, and a great example of how like queerness was there, but it was at this like unconscious level. You weren't quite aware of, of what you were feeling and what it was, what its meaning was. And so, yeah, so when did things start to shift for you? When did you start to kind of gain a little bit more of that conscious awareness of of what your feelings were? Yeah, let's see. You know, I can't remember the early days of coming to terms with my sexuality. Because once I came out, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and I told her 
I was like, yeah, by the way, I'm not straight. And she was like, yeah, you know, you you mentioned something like that a few months ago when we hung out. And I was like, kind of caught off guard by that. Mm. I'm a verbal processor. And when something big happens in my life, I make phone calls Mm. and I get it out. I say the thing over and over again and I talk to people uh, and that's how it starts to make sense in my head. And I was very subconsciously doing that without realizing that. And then I hit a point where I was picking up my brother from the airport and this was also at a time where my brother and my relationship wasn't particularly great, Mm. but I had a lot of fondness for him. He's my younger brother. I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm his older sister. I have just, I'll always have a special place in my heart for him, Mm. but I was picking him up from the airport and we were stuck in Atlanta traffic. And I remember talking to him and I was like, yeah, I've just been thinking about something, you know, I think I just like people for who they are, regardless of their gender. And my brother was like, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I get that. Mm. And in that moment, I was like, huh, it's okay to be like this. Because the other thing that I was feeling a lot was when I wrote, I'm not gay in my journal at the age of 13, I wrote that because I thought I'm Indian. Indian people are not gay. Mm. And the reason I believe that is because homosexuality in India is such a complicated thing. It wasn't legal to be gay till like 2013, I think, Mm. you know, it's like, it's a really fucked up country. It's like holding onto these old Victorian laws. Mm. And and it's really difficult to be queer and to be Indian because I am very Indian. I listen exclusively to Bollywood. I love Bollywood movies. Like I have like a a lot of Indian shit in my house. I cook Indian food all the time. Like my values, my the person that I am is informed by the fact that I am Indian. Mm. And so for a long time, I was made to believe that Indian people are not gay. And that's also because I had seen people who are very clearly gay marry folks of the opposite gender. I had seen queerness be masked with heterosexuality my entire life. And these people would get made fun of all the time. Like society would just be like, ha ha, he's so effeminate to like crazy guy. Anyway, mm. how's his wife doing? Uh, you know, mm. like that's the shit that was happening around me. So mm. I had no examples of Indian people who were gay. Mm. So for a long time, for me, it was like, these two things cannot coexist. And so when I said this to my brother, it, it was almost like it was really liberating because uh, I haven't talked about this in a minute. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Take your time. It was, it was really liberating because we had this shared past and somebody with my past validated me. Yeah. And it just, uh, it made me feel seen in a way that I think possibly nobody else could have done. Yeah. And I, I don't think I realized that till, till right now. What's that like to have that realization in this moment? It's, it's lovely. It's such mm. a lovely thing to like learn from your younger siblings, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's just like my brother is a very special person to me. Yeah. Um, and this is one more reason why he's special. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for letting us into that part of your story in that moment. Because gosh, I mean... I feel so affected just from my end, just kind of hearing about that experience and just feeling, oh, just like so much power and just love. And I'm just, go brother. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. goodness. Yeah, he's a good one. <laughs> yeah. It took him a while to come around and actually figure out how to support me. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think he realized in that moment what he was like, the gift that he was giving me and what he was doing for me and what he unlocked for me. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And then so, okay, so the, um, an unlock was happening. So then how did that lead into what came next? What happened? So two quick stories. Yeah. Um, the first is that uh, that conversation just gave me, like just liberated me, right? And so sometime in the next few days, one of my best friends was uh, over at my house. And I remember like sitting across from her and this was my first official coming out. Mm. And I said to her, okay, I think I like girls. And she goes, cool, how'd you figure it out? And I was like, you know how like all the girls around us are always like, you look pretty, like your calves look nice or like your hair looks nice. And I was like, I feel that, but I like really mean that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I described it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, That's the best I, way to describe it. I love it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's the complicated thing, at least about being a woman and right. uh, being queer, is that, like, I mean, I was a uh, spoiler alert is that my parents did not do well with my coming out. Mm. And my mom, I'd be like watching movies with my mom, and she would be like, gushing over an actress and how she looks and how her hair looks. And so I was sitting next to her and I was like, yeah, me too, man. Totally. And so like, for me, I was like, this is a straight behavior, but, but it's really not. Right. (laughs) Wow. That's a really great point that for folks who are socialized female, there is more space to comment on kind of the attractiveness and kind of the, the aesthetic or beauty of other females in a way that's, yeah not experienced as homosexual it's yeah. whoa great point yeah yeah like i feel very comfortable like if i see a picture of my friend I, i've done this before i like seen a picture of like my friend looking really nice and i would give a very specific compliment i'd be like your shoulders yeah. look great like yeah. i can't imagine a guy going to another guy being like your shoulders look great and right. have that be just platonic <laughs> right. it's fucked up right i know Men should hear I that know. more from other Amen. men their shoulders look great totally <laughs> totally totally but yeah it's different wow it's uh-huh different, yeah. uh-huh and then uh so this was in december and then uh funnily enough in february i uh met the love of my life so it just wait what uh, year are we where are we at in time uh yeah so we are in december 2013 cool. i had uh, december 2013 i had that conversation with my brother I came out to my best friend and then february of 2014 Two of my friends were hosting a uh, dance competition for Indian classical dance, and uh, they were directors. They were running the whole thing, and I was freelance doing freelance photography at the time. So it was like absolutely not a question that I would be doing that gig. And I was like, "Don't even pay me for it. Just buy me a nice rental, like rent me nice equipment, and like let me just do this for you." So mm-hmm. I was having a blast that weekend. I wanted to represent my friends well. So I was on my best behavior. I was like super friendly. I, I was like, everybody coming here is going to leave here being like Lasia 2014 in Atlanta was the best dance show I have attended in my college career. You know, I was set to make it happen for my friends. So I, I, I got there, um, was meeting a lot of people and then it was the rehearsal. So usually what we do is morning rehearsal where I get to see all the runs and I get to take some pictures and like get a feel for what the routine is. So I know where to be at the right times. Mm. And then the show happens in the evening. Mm. So the morning rehearsal was happening and the UT Austin team comes up and I'm taking pictures and gosh, I feel like such a chum telling this story because literally I was watching uh, my now wife dance and the camera was up and I was about to take a picture And I took it and then I just put my camera down and I just kind of looked at her. I I was like very captivated by the way she was moving, by the way her hands were moving specifically. Mm. And I was like, huh, 
what's this feeling in here? Yeah. And it, and, and it was, uh, I got to know a little while later that by this time, Arati, my partner, had already been crushing on me. Oh, whoa. Uh, so uh, the show happens and, you know, people are talking about me because I am the photographer. Like if you're friends with the photographer, you get the photos early, you get to, mm. you get, you know, all the good pictures, all of that stuff. So mm. people usually, and, 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 you know, like I said, I was, uh, I was on my best behavior that uh, weekend. I was like really wanting to be a good host. Yeah. So her team was like, oh my gosh, isn't the photographer so fun? And she was like, yeah, totally guys. She's so, so cool. Yeah, totally. And I, we, so we wrap up the show and I'm leaving and I'm like, you know what? I'm done. Like I'm, I've been on my feet for 12 hours. Like yeah. I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to mm. go back. And so I was heading back to my apartment and uh, Arati stops me. I had a bunch of people who were like, Hey, Oh my gosh, you're coming to the after party. Right. We'll see you there. And I was like, no, nah, I'm tired. I, 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 you have fun. And Arati stops me. She's like, you're coming to the after party. Right. And I, I just stopped and I looked at her and I was like, yeah, I'll see you there. <laughs> so I get to the after party with two of my friends. I drove them because I knew I wasn't going to drink that night. I was too tired to like actually party. Mm. So I drove them and uh, we entered the party. And I don't even remember where my friends went because I just went looking for Arati. Yeah. And it was awesome. She mm. was a drunken mess. She made a fool of herself. <laughs> um, it, it was just the funniest evening. And uh you know, then we went back, she went back to uh, Austin, I went back to Atlanta. And after that, we ended up uh, exchanging numbers and just chatting and getting to know each other. And then we FaceTimed and one time we FaceTimed at midnight and the next thing I knew it was 7am and then it happened again and it mm -hmm. happened again. And then I was like, here's that friendship that's not a friendship. Yeah. Whoa, here's that friendship that's not a friendship. Whoa. Yeah. It was like the same feelings. It was the same kind of, there's the same internal experience. I was driving kind of this curiosity about this person that you had when you were younger, but now you actually were in the situation where the other person was responding in, in the, the way that kind of met that same feeling. Oh, yeah. Oh. And you know, I think like the point of like second adolescence, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it took me a while to reach out to you because I was like, I don't know if second adolescence is really what I experienced because I was 23 and 23 to me is really young. I'm about mm. a decade out from this experience mm. of coming out. Mm. And so I look back and I'm like, 23, that was adolescence. Mm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. actually my adolescence was riddled with really, really complicated relationships that I didn't know what to do with. And so I got to have this second adolescence at that point. I got to have my very first relationship, my very first crush, my very first butterflies, like my very first lot of things. Mm. And like, what was it like to have all those firsts? Oh, so nice. It was yeah. just, I mean, everything started to make sense then. Like just the way that like romance is talked about in media and it sucks that it's done through a heteronormative lens, but like Bollywood songs started sounding different in my ears, yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So that's how it felt. I was like, oh, this is the stuff. I was like, this is what my friends have been feeling when they've had these like boyfriends and girlfriends and whatever else. Like, this is the feeling. I was like, oh man, I can't believe I've been missing out on this. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Oh, I so personally connect with that of like finally yeah. understanding all of the songs, finally understanding all the films, like finally accessing this experience of feeling and experiencing art in a way that I'd never experienced before that I'd seen maybe other people seem to really get. It's like, why is everyone crying? And then I'm like, oh, I get yeah. it as I'm like bawling <laughs> listening to this song, right? Oh, that is so special. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Mm. Okay, so you you both met when you were 23. And then kind of, I, it sounds like things progressed from there. What happened next in your story? So one night, uh, so Arati was an English major, which I was really excited about. There's a play called Eurydice. It's an old Greek myth that Sarah Rall rewrote into a contemporary play. Mm. And it's uh, it's gorgeous. Um, so I had a book and I, uh, of, of her plays. And I was like, hey, I really want to read this with you. And it's, I forgot, it's actually a very romantic play. So she was reading the leading lady and I was reading the like other characters. Mm. And it literally starts with a scene where Orpheus professes his love to Eurydice. Mm. So we're reading this play this evening and then her computer dies in the middle. And so she puts it to charge and she comes back out, calls me on her phone and she's just sitting in the hallway and chatting and she said something about us being friends. And that was like, I, I'm one of those people where I'm like, when I've hit my threshold, I've hit my threshold. I'm taking no more shit. Uh, when I'm below my threshold, you can probably talk me out of things. You can soften me on things. You can convince me on things. But I think I had spent 10 years just not addressing these crushes as crushes. Mm. And I wasn't about to let this one go. So she said something about being friends. And I said, we're not friends. She goes, what do you mean? And I said, I don't FaceTime with my friends all night long and miss class the next day. Mm. And so she's like, okay, what are we? And I was like, look, I like you. I don't know what we are, but I like you a lot. And she was like, oh no, I, you know, I was like, my friends have been telling me that we're not just friends and I was going to talk to my friend and I was going to get back to you on this. And <laughs> I was like, well, I'm sorry I beat you to the punch, but I, this is just how I feel and I can't be quiet about it. Um, we should figure out where to go from here. And just then her laptop had finished charging. So we finished reading the play and then she was like, okay, what should we do? And I was like, how about you take 24 hours to think about it? Mm. Um, because at that point, so Arati is five years younger than me. She was an undergrad. I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. She lived in Austin. I lived in Atlanta. I had two more years of grad school. She had two and a half years more of undergrad. Mm -hmm. So we weren't going to move for two years. Like yeah. nobody was going anywhere for two years. So mm. it was not an obvious yes. Uh, so I said, take 24 hours, go talk to all these friends you were going to talk to and come back to me and we'll, we'll chat. And, and she comes back 24 hours later and she's like, I'm here. I'm all in. Let's date. Mm. And yeah, I mean, the rest is history. We just, wow. yeah, we just got married. So. Wow. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I can't wait for this movie to be made of your guys' story. I'm already excited by this, but okay. Okay. So then like, so that was kind of what was happening in terms of this relationship, kind of getting to really dive deeper into it. Then like, what was going on for you in general in terms of like your experience of your identity then and how you existed in the world and with other people in your lives? I'm thinking about family. I'm thinking about other friends. Yeah. How did that look for you? At that point, I was surrounded by straight people mm. um, and straight friends or just friends who like hadn't explored their sexuality. Mm -hmm. So it was intimidating. Mm. And initially when I was talking to Arati, uh, I think some people started to catch on, people who were around me. Mm. And then I started talking about it. And I think being Indian and gay is like so, un it, at least it was relatively uncommon when mm. I was coming out. Mm. That like, you know, even the weekend that I met Arati, I, I really hate that one of the ways that 
like I, I was talking about her, obviously, right? Like subconsciously, that girl is on my mind. Uh, and I, I was talking about her that weekend with somebody and I was like, oh yeah, Arati Warrior UT. And they're like, oh yeah, the bisexual one. And it really, I really hate that that be- becomes your like moniker. And uh, I was really afraid of that being mine because I was so much more than my sexuality. And I am today, like I'm gay as hell, but like I'm so many more things. And so I, I, I was really afraid of that. So I was, I was very slowly coming out. I wasn't talking about it. Uh, And then I started doing it in small bits and pieces. And it's funny because since then, a bunch of people I was around have come out. So go figure. (laughs) So that happened for about a year. And then in January of 2015, I sat across from my parents and I told them that I am gay. And I had brought Arati home the previous fall. She had come to visit me. She and my mom got along swimmingly. And, you know, my like, yeah, my parents really liked her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in December, uh, there was a wedding in Austin of a friend of ours that I went to. And Arati came and said hi to me at the wedding, said hi to my parents at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, we were, like, putting our, like, significant others in front of each other's parents. I had visited Arati at some point and she, mm-hmm. she had, her parents had me over. Mm-hmm. So we were doing that. So she came out in October. It was mm-hmm. rocky. And then mm. I came out in January. The fall. So she came out October 2014. And then I came out January of 2015. We had realized by then that this relationship is something serious mm. and something really special. It was both of our first relationship with a woman. Mm. Yeah, just like, I, you know, we're both Indian and uh, we both have like, like our values match pretty well. And, mm. uh, and I think there was just a lot of sort of synchronicity in terms of what we wanted in a relationship, where we were headed, all of that. So, mm. so we knew pretty early on that this was headed down. I mean, you haul lesbians, right? Like it was headed down <laughs> a very serious path very quickly. Mm. So I came out in January of 2015 and it was really tough because mm. my mom did the exact right thing by being like, Hey, thanks for telling us. Do you feel better? And I mm. said, yeah. And my dad said, no. Uh, this is not you. And I said, it is me. And he's like, no, you're misunderstood about Arati. She's not like that. And I was like, I promise you she is. Mm. I don't know. I'm not confused about the fact that Mm. we're in a relationship and that I like her. And then I remember it it was a really rough conversation. My dad was like, we can get you help. You know, he was just sort of stuck in that. My mom kind of got quiet. And then my dad and my mom are very involved in their community. They do like a lot of performances and stuff. And so mm. he had a play that he was directing. So mm. the people were coming over for a rehearsal. So he went to that and I went upstairs and my mom just came into my room sobbing. And she's like, don't go into their world, Tanea. Don't go into their world. Mm. And I said, what world? We all live in America. Mm. Like we all live in the same country. There's no their world and our world. This is Mm. just who I am. And it's that same feeling, right? Like Mm. if you're Indian, you can't be gay. It's not your world. You can't be a part of your world while being this person, Mm. while being this thing. You have to be like, it's a different world. So you're Mm. othered. Yeah, it was was really difficult. And it went on for six years. Mm. And we were just at a standstill. I mean, I stopped going home for a while and Mm. seeing my parents. And one of my really good friends, his parents are friends with uh, my parents. And they sat my mom down and my dad and they were like really trying to be like, look, you have you have a whole kid outside her sexuality. She has so many things that you're missing out on. If you don't keep in touch with her, go talk to her. And so my mom started to make more of an effort with me and like just like try to have conversations and so so she was trying really hard. My dad stopped talking to me for two years, didn't look me in the eye for two years. We were in the same room and he would talk 
about things relating to me and omit me from them. Like my mom said something about Northview High School and my dad is like, yeah, when Yash went to Northview XYZ and I was like, fucking asshole, I'm right here. I went to Northview. Mm. I went to Northview before my brother went to Northview. Uh, uh-huh. And so I was yeah. just always feeling left out by him, mm. but othered, like, you're not one of us, you don't belong. And mm. at the same time, he really wanted me to come home and like wanted to take care of me. Like he was, he was really, really, really struggling with that. Mm. My brother, on the other hand, he had a lot of his own stuff going on. And I, I don't want to speak for him on this podcast, but what I'll say is whatever he had going on transpired into him not being able to show up for me. Mm. So this here's a kid who a year ago like liberated me. And like when I took the step toward further liberation, he wasn't able to stand behind me. And that was really painful because the thing with Arati is she had a heart coming out, but she had her sister behind her the whole time negotiating with her parents. I didn't have anybody. And maybe it's unfair to say I didn't have anybody because I had my dad's aunt uh, and her husband. They're like my grandparents. They were there. They talked to both of my parents and they were like, Mm. look, you guys, I mean, we're just as surprised as you are, but like, that's your kid. You got to take care of her. Mm. Their son, Nikhil, who's my cousin, love him. He's been like an older sibling to me all these Mm. years. Mm. Yeah. um, He's he's really special because... Mm. That summer, the summer after I came out, I got an internship at a very big firm in Austin. It was like one of the, it's an international design firm. It's huge. It was going to be like a deal maker for my resume. And he calls me, he goes, I don't care if this internship is in Timbuktu or in Arati's living room, you are taking this. You're doing this. I'm so proud of you. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like he was such a champion of you. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and so were his parents. I mean, Uh, you know, They were having a really hard time negotiating their relationship with my dad, mm. who is like a second son to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And me, who they like very much like supported and sided with and wanted the best for. Mm. And then, of course, there were like my parents' best friends who, you know, who were relentlessly negotiating with my parents. And and uh, at some point, like I came out to them and, and you know, they, yeah, they were relentlessly negotiating. And they were really trying to push my parents down this path of like, fine, don't accept her yet, but be nice to her, be good to her. And then we'll talk about the sexuality piece, but like, at least don't treat her like shit. You know, they Mm -hmm. did a lot of work on my parents. Uh, And then once my parents stopped treating me like shit, which is when I got a job. So very quickly, I, uh, I, I finished my program in 2016, moved to Austin. I had a problem with my thesis defense, so I actually ended up elongating that by another year. So I was in Austin. I had my first job, which I got because of this internship. That internship was, a am telling you, like a, wow. it, it made my career. Wow. Um, it was a very important internship because it got me my first break and my first break got me my second break and it goes from there. Yeah. And so I, I got that job in Austin. I packed all of my belongings in boxes. I took them down one by one. And my dad sat there watching TV, not paying any attention to me, Mm. not wanting to help me. None of that. I I was packing an entire little Toyota Yaris full of my things. And this man said nothing to me. And in Indian culture, you touch the feet of your elders for blessing. So, Mm. you know, I, when I was packed, I, I went to my parents and I touched their feet Mm. and I remember giving my mom a hug and she physically pushed me away. And that's how I left my parents' house. Wow. And that was in 2016 um, that it happened. Oh. And uh, if it hadn't been for the support system of my dad's aunt and her husband, 
who very quietly wrote me a check and were like, hey, we just want to pad your bank with this money. Pay us back whenever you can. And I did. I paid them back pretty immediately. Mm. But they're like, just hold on to this till you're on your feet. So they did the thing for me that like my dad didn't, you know, and, and yeah. my, my parents' best friends, they sat me down and taught me how to budget. And mm. like, they're like, okay, great. So I'll find an apartment. Here's your budget. Here's your grocery budget. Like they like taught me how to like, you know, deal with my money for the very first time. Cause I was going to have a salary now. Uh-huh. So all these things that my parents were missing for, I had people fill in and, and help me figure out how to become an adult. Mm. Yeah. And, and from there it was just, I think that's pretty much the last thing that was notable in my relationship with my parents mm. i think in 20 so it's 2017 i moved to the bay area with arati but i never mentioned her to my parents i never told them i moved with her so mm. they thought i must have left her so so all of a sudden my dad is talking to me again like nothing happened oh. and things are feeling a lot lighter it's a, it's a lot easier to go back to my parents house and see them but we're still not talking about my sexuality we're still not talking about arati mm. so that part was still really tough but yeah and then we were in that standstill for a while. Mm. And then in January of 2019, I proposed to Arati. Mm. We had booked a weekend in Guerneville, which I realized is like the gayest town in California. <laughs> I had no idea. Right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, we actually went to this restaurant called Boone Eat and Drink, which is owned by a lesbian woman who like, we were like, yeah, we got engaged. And they were like, great, free champagne. Have fun. Oh, yeah. So they were really lovely to us, very welcoming. And, and and so we we uh, I proposed to her very privately there. And then when we came back, uh, I had invited a bunch of friends from like all over the U.S. and her parents. And we came back to our apartment and she was surprised with everybody. And then we had a party that night. Wow. Yeah. It what was, was it like yeah. it was amazing. Oh. It was uh, it was so lovely. You know, mm. I really hate like buying into straight things, but this one was really worth it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Some of them are good. Yeah, totally. I know. This was really good. This whole proposal <laughs> thing was really cute. Oh, um, yeah. I actually set up a camera. Like I, I'd woken up and like, I was like, I have to go pee. And I'd set up a camera. And it was really funny because I don't know why the camera just stopped recording two minutes in. <laughs> oh, no. So it just has two minutes of me waking up out of the, and then oh. the minute I started proposing to her, it stopped recording. <laughs> oh. uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that happened and I told my mom I was like hey I'm gonna get married to her next year and my mom was like well we'll never accept this Hmm. um your dad and I are never gonna accept this this is not do whatever you want to you know we don't care Mm. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, no problem. Mm. I, I had pushed them maybe one more time before because it was so hard this entire time to live a double life. Mm. And, and, and the best and worst thing about me is that there's only one me. Mm. And that means this is the me that's coming to a party. This is the me that's, you know, going to work. This is the me that's like, I don't know, like it's, it, this is the only me that's showing up anywhere and everywhere. There are not many different versions of this Mm. and it's great if you like me and it's not if you don't but Mm. this is where I'm at this is who I am Mm. and I don't mean this in a shitty way like I'm not going to change but just that I can only be authentic to who I am yeah and I can't be anything else right and it's one of the things that I'll say I admire about myself the most and it's it's the toughest thing to work around Mm. (laughs) because when the shoe doesn't fit it really pinches the toes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was really hard to go to my parents' house and not be me. Yeah. And to have to like always watch what I'm saying, watch my step, all of that stuff. Like I was calling Arati in private and my parents aren't having a good time because they're like, we know she's coming to our house and calling that girl. I'm mm-hmm. like, fuck yeah, I am. That's my fiance. Like, what do you want me to do? Right. 
so we were get, getting ready to get married in May of 2020. Mm. The last thing we did was in, in early March, we had a combined bachelorette party in San Diego, during which we were all, at the beginning of the bachelor party, we were like, if somebody coughed, we were like, haha, do you have COVID? What's this COVID anyway? And then by the end of the party, people going to New York were scrambling because their flights were getting canceled. Wow. Like it was literally like a four day period of being like, what's this COVID? And like, holy shit, I have to get home. Yeah. We got home and we went into lockdown immediately. Yeah. So that was it. We had to cancel our wedding. Mm. And we just had to be on pause. Mm. Uh, and so the next, all of 2020 was a year of massive reflection. Mm. Um, it was a year of like getting a lot of distance from my parents. It was a year of therapy. I mean, not that I hadn't been doing therapy before, but I found an exceptional therapist that year. Mm. And I was like, I, I found her in uh, 2019. And I was like really on this journey of like unpacking shit with my parents. Yeah. And 2021 starts, I, I visited them at the end of 2020. Arati and I got a dog in 2020. We took him there. My parents mm. loved him. And it just mm. felt wrong not to like to have this dog who has two moms uh, mm. and like not be talking about Arati. And, and I mm. knew that this is getting, this is getting messier. It's getting complicated. Mm. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so in February of 2021, I cut ties with my parents and I texted them and I said, I want an authentic relationship with you. I cannot have that till you accept the fact that I'm in a committed relationship with Arati. Mm. So whenever it is that you're ready to accept her as my partner, please email me. Until then, I don't want to talk. I don't want calls. I don't want visits. I just don't want to be a part of part of your life anymore. And I waited for them to text back. And they did. They sent me some very shitty text messages back that were like, oh, you're the kind of person who choose some like a partner over your parents. Like mm. what? Like fine. If this is what you want to do, that's fine. Mm. And so I sent that text and then I blocked them immediately. And I had the quietest, quietest, most peaceful six months of my life. Mm. I say that without discount. Like I don't want to discount the incredible hard work and effort that I was putting in therapy at that time. Mm. Like we were doing mm -hmm. a lot of inner child work. Like I was sobbing in therapy sessions totally. all the time. I'm, I'm a crier and I'm yeah. not even shy mm -hmm. about it anymore, mm -hmm. but like mm -hmm. I was just sobbing in therapy sessions. They were exhausting me. So I was doing a lot of that work, yeah. but it was also giving me back a lot of peace and quiet after mm -hmm. a long time. And I felt this stillness inside of me that I hadn't felt in a long time. Mm. And that's why I knew I had made the right decision. It was a tough decision, but it was the right one. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, I think it was a very big turning point in my in my journey as like coming into my adulthood. It was the first birthday I'd had where I hadn't cried because mm. birthdays were I hated my birthdays because mm. I always felt like I felt attached and indebted to my parents on my birthdays. And, and that was a really complicated thing to feel with people who are just not seeing you for the person that you are. So yeah, it was, it was a really great period. And then my brother reaches out to me and he's like, hey, I think both of our parents are making some movement. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And he was like, yeah. So apparently they were starting to sort of warm up to the idea of like your personal life and your sexuality when you cut ties and it kind of set them back because they thought that Arati had instigated this. Mm. And I was like, Oh boy, like mm. how many, how many things are they going to pin, pin on her? I mean, mm. initially they were pinning my sexuality and, and the fact that I'm gay on her. And uh. I'm like, if it were only that easy, right. <laughs> I mean, like, right. that's not how it works. Mm -mm. So long story short is that my mom followed my template and sent me a very lovely email 
It was not perfect, but it showed a tremendous thought and progress. And it wasn't just talking about her. It was talking about the world outside of her, right? Her email was like, hey, I'm realizing that the most important thing for me is my kids. And I have to be a part of my kid's life no matter what. So she realized, like, when I cut ties with her, she realized what she was missing out on. None of us was having a great time in in, in that period, you know, and it yielded a lot of reflection on my mom's part. Um, and so she sends me this email. She's like, you're my priority. My kids are my priority. Also, the world is changing. You know, Tanea, when you were growing up, women didn't really wear pants a lot. And look now, all women are like, all women wear pants. And who knows, in the next 30 years, it'll be like way more normalized for women to marry women. And she's like, basically, she was, she was trying to say times are moving and so must I. Mm. I don't want to fall on the right, wrong side of history. So it was, it was that's what like really compelled me mm. is that it wasn't just about me, because if it was just about me, that would be something else. Mm. But it was bigger than me. It was about it was about queer community. It was about queerness. It was about wanting to make the right decision for not just for me. And, and that's when I was like, holy shit, this is mm. huge. Mm. And I replied to her and I unblocked her and I started chatting with her. Mm. And I was like, hey, your email made my day. And she was like, your text made my day. And mm. we ended up chatting and it took me a couple of weeks to just <clears throat> warm up to like texting her uh, before I actually called her and caught up with her. Then at some point she said, I want to come visit you in California. She's been saying that forever. I just never entertained it. So she says, I want to come visit you in California. I said, I looked at Aditi. I was like, I, I want her here. How do you feel? And she goes, you know what? I feel fine. That's great. Mm -hmm. And so she said, bring her over. And so my mom visited in November. This woman hates hugs. And Aditi is, um, uh, Aditi is, is, is her hug coach. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not into the business of coercing people into hugs, but we're in the business of if you're giving hugs, you better give good hugs. <laughs> 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 and uh, my mom, I, I'd, wa I'd want Arati that my mom is a terrible hugger. She like opens the door and she's like, hi, and gives Arati a big hug. And I was like, where the fuck has this been? I wow. haven't received this in 32 years of my life. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. What so, was it like to see? Holy moly. Wow. Uh, I was like, stunned <laughs> yeah i don't think i felt anything in that moment yeah because i was like this is exactly what i expected it's something i never thought i would ever have and also like what's where am i what's happening mm. <laughs> like, mm. i thought it was like i was like in a multiverse you know <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> um but we had that entire trip and even through the evolution of the trip my mom was you know warming up like the first day we took, or the second day we took her to Cal Academy of Sciences. And as we were watching fish in a very quiet, dark room, I said, hey, by the way, Arati and I are having our wedding in April. You should come. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, okay. And I was a little thrown off because my brother was like, yeah, she wants to come to your wedding, which is why I told her in the first place. Yeah. But she, she was really vocal about it by the end. She was like, you know, Tania, I know where I need to be. I know the feelings I need to feel that are feelings of full acceptance and joy. Mm. And I'm going to get there. I'm doing it. Mm. And, and it was so lovely to hear that, right? Like yeah. it was, a, it was like really painful and, and really lovely to hear that because I don't think I expected her to like come in and be like, I'm ready. Let's do this. And mm. by the way, this whole time, the people who have been supporting me on the sidelines haven't stopped. Mm. Right. Like, Nikhil, my cousin who I mentioned, goes back to my mom like and, and 
they were having dinner and he pulls her aside and he's like, Hey, are you, are you ready? Are you looking forward to this? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, okay, Lena, I just want to, you know, give you a heads up that it's, it's a different thing to accept your daughter's queerness in theory. And it's a different thing to see it in practice. You have to be ready for this. Mm-hmm. And so there are still people coaching them on the sidelines uh, mm-hmm. as, as they're making this journey and making my life easier, making their journey toward acceptance easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And so November, November trip goes by so well, by the end of the trip, my mom is asking a lot of questions about Arati's parents. So I said, hey, in two weeks, we're going to Arati's sister's wedding reception in Austin. Do you want to come? You can meet Arati's parents. And my mom looks at Arati. She says, you know, this has gone for too long. I'm ready to move forward. Let's do this. So I book her ass to Austin and we go to Austin. We introduce my mom to Arati's parents. And it's like the ball is just rolling I mean, it is like rolling. We are four months away from our wedding. By the way, we got married on paper at the end of 2019 in anticipation for our wedding because we just wanted to get the paperwork over with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arati was quitting her job. She needed to get on my insurance. Mm-hmm. So we did what most gay people do, which is get married for convenience, <laughs> not for love. The love is there. It'll always be there. It'll be there forever. And I don't mm-hmm. need a piece of paper to prove it. But yeah. unfortunately, I need that piece of paper to make sure I'm not committing insurance fraud. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got the paper. And so we had to postpone the wedding to 2022 because of COVID. So we're about like four months away from the wedding. My mom meets Arati's parents. It goes extremely well. Arati's parents are like, just like cannot wait. And she's at this event. And not only does she see that Arati's parents are just showering me with love, her sister's in-laws are also showering me with love. Mm. Like these are people who have no business or like obligations to me, like no Mm. business being nice to me, like no obligations to me. They could just be like, oh, that girl. Yeah, that's that's our like daughter-in-law's sister's wife. Cool. Mm. But they are just so lovely, like just the warmest, kindest, loveliest people Mm. who are just like your family. Come on in. And my mom got to see that. Yeah. And the thing that's really healing about it is that this is exactly the thing my mom had been aching for in her life that she never got because of which my parents moved to the U.S. in the first place. So it has been a healing journey for my mom to have a good relationship with my in-laws and my sister-in-laws' in-laws <laughs> and, and to just know that like goodness exists In-law tension is like a very common thing in Indian culture. I am sure like I've I've seen that even here. But I think she's seeing an example that it doesn't always have to be bad. It can be good. It can be healthy. It can be nice. Yeah. And then my dad's journey was a little bit more like pulling wisdom teeth, you know, not just Mm. pulling teeth, pulling the Mm. toughest of teeth. Mm. Because a lot of people were like, dude, what are you doing? Your wife is there. Like, because mm-hmm. the minute my mom was in, she was like, okay, girls, what are we doing for your wedding? Let's plan this thing. And I was like, we planned it. And she's like, great, go over all the details for me. And she's in it. She's yeah. like adding events to the yeah. thing. I was like, mom, you're mm-hmm. going to flush me of my money. <laughs> she went to India before the wedding. And uh, the lovely thing is, uh, oh, this is, this is important. So she went to mm-hmm. India before the wedding to do shopping. And she wanted to shop with her sister. But in order to do that, she had to tell her sister about me. Mm. So she had her sister come in. She, her sister lived about a two-hour drive away. So she came in. So she sat her sister and my grandpa, who's 89 years old, she sat them down and she said, hey, I want to tell you something. Tanya is getting married. 
And they're like, oh, that's excellent. Who's the guy? And they're like, and she was like, that's the thing. It's not a guy. It's a girl. And my Maoshi was like, Maoshi is the word for your mom's sister. My Maoshi was very upset, like crying. And my mom immediately FaceTimed me and Arati. She, she was like, hey, be ready, girls. I'm going to FaceTime you. Mm. And I talked to them and I introduced Arati to both of them. And they were like still kind of getting their bearings about them. And, and yeah. my grandpa said, hey, how, how are you? And I said, I'm good. I'm happy. Uh, and he's like, you're happy? And I said, yeah. And he's like, that's all that matters to me. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. And what's incredible is that both my Maoshi and my grandpa came to my wedding. They flew from India for this wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 89-year-old grandpa was one of the three grandparents who walked me out, um, along with a few of my friends. Mm-hmm. And it was just so special. And I wouldn't have had that if my mom hadn't come around when she did. Mm-hmm. And then there's my dad. <laughs> right? So like going back to the pulling teeth, um, mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to him and they're like, dude, what are you doing? You got You got to get it together. Mm. And, and he doesn't do well to that. I mean, my dad and I are very similar people in that, like, you know, when I get into a fight with Arati, it takes me a little while, like I'm in my head and it takes me a little while to like find my authentic center. Mm. Like, how am I actually feeling about this thing? Mm. Let me evaluate whether my feelings are like misplaced or not. Mm. And then let me authentically find an apology if that is what is necessary in this moment. Uh-huh. And, and, and that takes a minute for to happen for me. And until it happens, my apology that comes out of my mouth is not genuine. Mm. And I, I and, and that's something that I've talked about, like in, in our conflict resolution is that I'm like, just give me a little bit of space. I promise you, I'm going to come and do the right thing. You just have to let me find my center before I do. Yeah. Uh, and you have to f- help me. You have to like, give me the space to do it authentically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I really hate being like to my dad because mm. it happens so often and I you know I'm like I'm my own person <laughs> but he and I are very similar in that regard so uh, my dad is like kind of stuck a lot of people are talking to him and he's like I don't care like just I'm, I'm just not authentically accepting this mm. and then in the nth hour Nikhil has a conversation with my dad and he was like look I just want to be abundantly clear with you that your kid hasn't been gallivanting for the six years that you have not been parenting her she has had to make herself. She has had to build walls. She has had to do a lot of fucking work to be the person that she is today. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, it's, it's, it's taken a lot of community and it's taken a lot of um, community building mm. for her to be who she is. And I just want you to know that I, I don't know what impression you have of her, but it's not that she's just ignoring you and 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 gallivanting around and living a great life. Mm. She has been, she has gone to a lot of therapy to get to where she is today, mm. and to accept your position on her sexuality. And he was like, "If you're going to make any movement on it, I also want you to understand that." It is an extremely high cost you're asking her to pay, high price you're asking her to pay mm. in order to come around and let you back into her life. And then a couple of weeks from there, we went to Atlanta. There was like a pre-wedding party that was happening. One of the aunties was hosting it. It was awesome. Mm. Uh, Arati got to meet all of the aunties on uh, on my side. I mean, I, I was on great terms with the aunties on her side because mm. I'd been visiting Austin and like, you know, her family has been cool with me for years. So I'd gotten to meet them. And so she got to meet all of my aunties. 
And uh, that same trip, my dad and I sat down and we hashed things out. And uh, he, uh, and, and again, like Nikhil and uh, my dad's aunt, her husband, they, they sat down and they helped mediate this conversation. And uh, my dad said, I want to apologize for the way I've acted. I don't want to like go back and like dig old bones, but I do want to be the adult here and assume responsibility for my behavior. I accept your choice in partner in Arati. She makes you very happy. I'm happy for you. I would love for you guys to come stay with us because we were staying with friends at that time because I didn't want to go stay at my parents' house. I wasn't sure how that was going to be. And then, you know, he said, if you invite me to your wedding, I won't be any trouble. And pretty much every note, like I had taken my, I brought my like morning pages journal with me and mm. I'd written down a bunch of stuff in there about like, just helping him realize how much harm he's caused. And I was like, oh, well, let me just close this and throw it away, set it on fire. I don't need this anymore. You just did my work for me. Great. But this man waits till like two seconds till game time to say this. Mm. And I was like, okay, all I can do is take your word for it. And I, my only terms for him were, you can come to the wedding, but you come to the wedding as family, not as a guest. Because that's how our community works. The Indian culture works in a way where you are not going to be looked at as a guest. You're going to be looked at as a participant, whether you are or not. So you have to act like it. And if you're ready for that responsibility, if you're ready to show up as a family member, you can come. Otherwise, sit out. Uh, and I said, that means not I won't be any trouble, but I will be actively hosting and welcoming people as a representative of Tanea's side of the family. So he was like, yeah, we'll do it. And, and so I think the rest is pretty much history here, mm. right? Because at this point, my mom is like at a level 12 out of 10 hype about this wedding. Mm. Um, she's gotten to that place that she really wanted to get to in November. Mm. And I mean, the wedding happens and my mom, one thing my mom keeps saying over and over again is, Tanea, I put the same kind of energy, love, effort, excitement, enthusiasm into this wedding that I would have put if you would have married a man. And I, I am absolutely sure of it. And it's like, it's such a lovely journey for my mom to go on. And I wish my dad had that time to unravel and unfold. Because mm -hmm. in the time that he was still stuck, my mom came here, met Arati, became a part of our lives. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, my mom loves to be a parent. That woman is like so excited to be a parent. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we were moving apartments recently and we asked her if she would come and help. And she was like, happily. And she like took a red eye back I mean, she's like in her late fifties. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm in my 30s and I don't like taking a red eye, but like right. she'll, she'll do it, you know, because she's mm. like, and I think especially because she's missed out on my adulthood, um, she's even more excited to be a part of it now. It's really cute too, because I, so I'm really fluent in my mother tongue. Mm. And so my mom and Arati do classes together every week where my mom teaches her our language. Mm. So it's just like, it's wow. given her so much, like, because she came to terms with this earlier, it's given her so much room to grow. Yeah. And we're now just starting to see that from my dad. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so many thoughts and feelings are going through my end as the witness and receiver to the story. I guess, first, let me just say like, one, I feel just so appreciative of you inviting all of us into your story and by illustrating kind of Yes, like the challenge and triumph with it all. And just, I'm feeling so kind of observant of like all the work that you did for yourself, like the way you were able to kind of then show up with both of your parents 
and be so firm in who you are and have the boundaries you need it to protect yourself, but also invite them in when they're, when they're able. And then to hear the journey that you're mom went through and that your dad's kind of in maybe still in process of coming through. I I know we have a lot of listeners to this podcast who are also parents of adult queer children uh-huh. who are kind of still in their own process of making sense and meaning out of what this means for them and their child. And so sure. even hearing, I just feel I'm thinking about them as I'm hearing your story. I'm also thinking about other queer people who I know have a similar similar in the sense of kind of it's been a journey with their parents who are listeners and a part of this community. And so I just feel so so appreciative of you offering this story. And what has it been like for you going back through your whole story up until now, sharing it before we look at winding down? Yeah. Yeah. It's been awesome. I feel like I haven't actually like sat down and articulated my queer journey in a second. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so emotional Mm -hmm. and it's got so many up and downs and I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I like, I feel really lucky where I've landed, but I still don't believe that it gets better. Mm. Like, I, I, I think that I, I really struggle with the it gets better narrative because, mm. like, you know, the thing about having your parents in your life is now you have your parents in your life. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, there's, there's all the other shit, you know? Yeah. Right. But I, I, I think I can't say that it gets better, but mm. I can say that it gets that that you get tougher. Right. You get smarter. Mm-hmm. You get better. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I, I'll add here is that I think my parents, I, I don't know if my parents realize this, but my parents and I have been on very similar journeys. My parents moved to the U.S. in 2001 and any uh, there's like an immigrant phenomenon where when you when you move from your home country you want to like really preserve the culture and the like values traditions all of that like your your language you you look at preserving everything big and small you want to like mm. pack it in a Tupperware and take it with you overseas mm. but you can't mm. so then you go overseas and you try to recreate that right mm. and you build your community and I saw my parents doing that when we moved here like they went out they made friends like within the first two years, my mom had like written a play about our like culture and uh, mm. and like brought together like pools of people uh, to like put up put up this great performance in mm. like the Marathi community of Atlanta. Mm. And I just saw my parents be like so resourceful, like they're making friends, we're making friends, they're making friends with our mm. friends' parents. Like, mm. right? like there's just this like resourcefulness that's happening. And then I come out and out of need, and also uh, because this is what I have learned from my parents, uh, that's what I do, mm. right? Like, it, like that's also a part of my story, that resourcefulness. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful for them for modeling that. Mm. Um, yeah. Because it's the thing that has helped me navigate my queerness. This, this resourcefulness, this like, like learning how to build a community, learning to like love people from near and far, hold them close to your heart. How do you do that? You know? And in many ways, uh, I, I, that was be, like my, my parents began to model that for me. And, and it's kind of sad, but like my parents gave me without knowing the survival tools that I needed for the way they were going to treat me over the next six years. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing I'll say about our wedding you know, Arati and I talked to our priest about that. I love our priest. She was phenomenal. Also a queer woman. And we talked to her about it and we're like, look, 
neither of us cares about the institution of marriage. <laughs> we don't want administrative rights. We we want liberation. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what we want in our queerness. We 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 want to not have to tell these fucking stories. Yeah. But we're able to survive having lived a story like this because of the people we've surrounded ourselves with. And our wedding was as much a celebration of the community that has helped us survive and thrive as much as it was a a, a testament to or a celebration of our love. And yeah, I hope that thread was really clear as I was talking about the last few years is that it's, I mean, and I, I know I mentioned like three groups of people, but like there was a whole host of friends on my side who will show up for me in the drop of a hat. Like, oh my God, I am so lucky. Mm. So I think as like my parents were going through their stuff and as there were people for for my story, it was important to talk about the people who stood between us who were, who were negotiating. But yeah, but I had a lot of people behind me as well. And, and I, I'm I'm happy that we got married because we got to celebrate that. And my parents got to see that. Mm. My parents got to see that my family is bigger than my mom, dad, and my brother. My family is like 150 people who came to the wedding. And even more who we couldn't have at the wedding. Yeah. And, and it was really lovely. For, it was really powerful for me that my parents saw that mm-hmm. and my parents could feel the force of that community that was standing behind me um, and will continue to stand behind me in this lifetime. Yeah. Oh, I'm like buzzing just hearing your story. Oh my goodness. And I kept you longer. Hopefully that's okay. I just, I like didn't want to stop you. I guess, again, I just feel so appreciative of you coming on and sharing all of this and sharing your story. and. On the individual end, it feels like such a gift to receive. And I just, I feel like it's going to be such an offering for folks. And so I just so appreciate you being so honest and so generous with your story and letting us all into it. And then are you someone who, if folks wanted to connect with or reach out to afterwards, is there any way you want to open that channel? Yeah, if people want to email me, that's a great way to get in touch with me. I'm literally always available to anybody who wants to have a chat through my newsletter. If they want to shoot me an email, I can send them a link to that as well. Awesome. Awesome. I'll be sure then to link to your email in kind of the show notes of this episode. Oh, well, thank you again. I feel like I'm just going to be sitting with your story for the rest of today. Just like there's so much just on my end just to think about and feel. And I did again, I just, I'm so glad you reached out. Thank you. That, that means a lot. You know, I think that this is what I said earlier, right? Like if, if I can make any difference with my story, then I consider myself deeply humbled. Yeah. Queer, queer people are strong. Queer people are resilient. And it sucks that we have to be, but... Right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. 
All right. Take good care.